Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. Huzzah, huzzah. What is one of the playoff series? Never in doubt. Yeah, yeah. I forgot to tweet that. Damn. Yeah, you forgot to tweet that. I actually thought the Oilers were going to win tonight, and I thought Skinner was going to have a good game. And they kind of, well, the one thing happened for sure, and the other one kind of happened, except for one um, (laughs) miscue, which um, (laughs) I guess we can talk about it now, Bruce, because it's neither of our good things or bad things, uh, it turns out. Mm -hmm. Skinner makes a turnover um, halfway through the third period, and um, King Oilers are on a power play, and he muffs the pass to Evan Bouchard. And initially, I'm thinking, like, I'm thinking, right okay, to the goal scorer, who's five net, feet in front of the net. Yeah, who's the net? Steve Smith. I I had some bad feelings about Skinner, but the, but after the game, yeah, it, not it became even Mike clear. Smith. <laughs> yeah, Mike Smith. It was more like Mike Smith actually than Steve Smith. It's a Smith. Uh, Kelly Harudi of uh, Hockey Night Canada reported something that had been kind of widely reported by I think Oilers fans on the internet, mm-hmm. um, including your son noticed it um, mm-hmm. that. Um, Skinner's stick was broken, and it clearly was. You watch the, the video replay. He goes to pass it, and, and his stick just bends, bends right over the puck. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, that is, like, atrocious luck. But it's, it put a different spin on the mistake, especially after they won, of course. Um, if they had lost, we'd st- I'd still be sour about it. But um, that was just, that turned out it's a tough play with a broken stick. These things, these things happen. As turnovers also happen. But with a turnover, it's... It's it's um man, it's a little bit of a risky play passing it like that across your net anyway. If you're gonna make that pass, you have to make it. So if his stick wasn't broken, it would have actually been pretty atrocious error. But it was. So yeah. Yeah, Kevin Woodley, uh the expert goalie expert on the Jason Greger show every oh, Monday. Yeah. Uh he says everyone ripping on Skinner, but his stick broke trying to make that pass was clearly compromised before, but in a spot you wouldn't expect, sort of halfway through the taped part of the blade and Woodley included a photograph of the stick, which I just retweeted. So if somehow you've missed it, look on my timeline and you'll see that just a still, I'm sure this video is out there too. There is a, there is a full video. Just if you've taken the game, maybe other people don't. Four three in an elimination game in the third period on the power play, and that happens. I thought the Oilers were going to win this game. I thought they were the better team tonight, even though like they were outshot. Um, The grade A shots in the game were um, fifteen for Edmonton, seventeen for LA, and um, seven uh, five alarm shots each. But I think there were some score effects in there with the Oilers leading the game most of the way and the Kings fighting to come back. I I I thought the Oilers. I wasn't that impressed with them giving up the lead um, the way they did. Yeah, but I thought they were the better team, and they they were the better team in this series. It's a fitting end of the series. We're going to go with uh, our Two Good Things, Two Bad Things, and Two Numbers podcast. Um, Because it's a big Oilers win, we'll go with two good things each. Bruce, your first good thing. Yeah, I'm going to... uh... I've been talking and writing about this for much of the series, so I'm going to go with these guys again, and I'm going to go with them as an entry. Uh, and that is the fourth-line wingers, uh, who in this game were Klim Costin and Kyler Yamamoto, started the game on fourth line with no particular center, and they cycled through the centers. And while they were busy cycling through the centers, uh, Costin scored two goals and one assist, and Yamamoto scored one goal and one assist. And uh, Costin played uh, he played just eight minutes and 44 mm. seconds in this game, but he had two shots, two hits, two goals, one assist, plus three. And his two goals were both on wicked shots from the slot. Costin, man, did he bury those those shots. And, and uh, the one was just sort of a quick opportunity uh, a quick release where uh, the puck, I think, came from, uh, yeah, he, he just let it fly from, uh, 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 no, sorry, the first one was the long rush. But he cuts in the made, middle. 
where yeah, he cut into I, the middle. Yeah, yeah Vincent de Harnay passed it out. McLeod got it up to him, and he cruised in, and he, he cut into the middle and let the screen form, and then fired a perfect shot through the screen just inside the po- post with a rocket exhaust coming off it. Like it's a wicked wrist shot, really hard shot. Picked the corner, and Corpus Allo never saw that one. That was a, just a great shot. And the second one happened a little bit more quickly. And this was, again, Vincent DeHarnay, playmaker, involved on this one. And uh, uh, the puck came back to the point after some Oilers pressure. And DeHarnay made a quick pass into the low slot to Yamamoto. And did he tip it on goal, David? And then uh, they sort of were fighting for the rebound. And Yamamoto was bunting at it. And and Costin just came in, wham, in the net again. Yeah. So... Uh, and uh, uh, then, of course, in the third uh, period after L.A. tied it tied at 4-4, and uh, as the game looked to be inevitably headed for overtime, uh, the other fourth-line winger, currently identified as Kyler Yamamoto, scored the game-winning, series-winning goal on uh, something less of a rocket of a shot than... Uh, uh, than uh, Clem Costin's were. So I would say if Clem Costin was Tom Seaver, then Kyler Yamamoto is uh, Joe, uh, no, Phil Necro. I'll say Phil Necro or Wilbur Wood. He just sort of floated yeah. in this knuckleball and poor Corpusallo couldn't find it until it fluttered by him. He just made a desperation lunge at the last moment. But again, the key to it was the traffic. And whether it's a bullet shot like Costin's or a wobbly knuckleballer like Yamamoto, if you get the darn thing away and on the net and you have traffic, it has a chance. It doesn't have to be a bullet. It just has to be a stealth, hard-to-find puck for the goalie, and uh, those goals were. And that was from the fourth line doing its work. And just let me see now. Uh, The center on that last one was McLeod. Uh, the center on Costin's first one was McDavid, uh, but he didn't get a point. And then the center on, uh, uh, on Costin's second goal was Leon, and he was involved in the play, but I think he was the fourth, sort of the third assist on that play. But he did have something to say in, in the whole sequence of that play. So three different centers on the three goals playing with uh, – playing with Costin, and that's um, Jay Woodcroft's secret sauce, man. You just do, got those two, two good wingers, and you just fill in the center spot with different guys, and you create different problem sets for uh, for L.A. each time. And uh, that fourth line, the goals won two games for Edmonton, game two and game six. I used the same secret sauce <laughs> headline today. I was referring to the what I uh-huh. refer to as the Baco bit players. Uh-huh, All the players yeah, yeah. Played Bakersfield, who uh-huh. started out as bit players on the owners and have worked their way up. Yamamoto's now worked his way down to being a bit player again. But um, that was, was a heck of a play. Was Clem Costin on your list, or he didn't quite play 25 games play. in Bakersfield? He no. played a few games down there. Yeah, he did no, right. I, I, it was 25 was the, he had to play yeah, 25. He did, yeah, he played a few games. He needed visa issues. He had, yeah. And, but, uh, Total Eclipse of the Sun screened by Costin. On the winning goal, it was a uh-huh. fantastic screen uh-huh. uh, screen by Clean Costin, and uh, it's funny. My wife, who's a smaller, she plays on my men's team. She's one right. of the smaller players on the team, and um, her her spirit order. If you play beer, beer league hockey, everyone has a, a kind of an order player who who most mm-hmm. resembles them on their team. All right, so okay. her spirit order is Cutter Yamamoto, and she cheers for him. It's uh-huh. been a pretty rough going for Cutter Yamamoto fans. There's been a lot yeah. of mm-hmm. criticism. Including from, I'm not going to name his name, but my brother-in-law has been calling Yamamoto a smurf and uh, mm-hmm. uh, saying he's not been playing well. So my wife right. uh, took a screenshot of a smiling Yamamoto and said, smurf says suck it. <laughs> and said it to my brother-in-law tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of happy Connor Yamamoto fans tonight. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm one. Struggling. He's got a lot of fans and we've, we've been, we've been. Uh, we've been frustrated and he's been frustrated with how things have been going for him. But to come through with the with the you know the big goal at such a time, David, if you don't think Kyle Yamamoto is a popular oiler, watch the replay of the reaction to the goal 
and then watch the replay at the final buzzer when he comes off the bench. He is mobbed by his teammates. They single him out. They're going for him. They're they're just thrilled for him. And that's really nice to see because sometimes a, a guy gets, you know, gets into a slump and he winds up on some kind of an island. And I like a team that has each other's backs. And sometimes that means, you know, getting even with some opponent that's done some some dastardly deed and other times it just is supporting them when they're going through a tough stretch and being up there for him but uh what a delight to see his first goal of the series be the be the decider so anyway good for both those guys uh i say uh i'm gonna i'm gonna bunch them together as fourth line wingers and three goals out of the five that they scored tonight after getting two goals in game two so, yeah, Yamamoto seems to have found a niche there. Like, and it's, no, it, he's Costin's, got the skill set. Costin's a good mix for him, right? Because Costin is, listen, it really does help to be big in the playoffs if you know mm-hmm. if, you can, if you can play with some skill. Look at the way Drysaddle Dry has bossed the playoffs, um, and Costin's done the same thing. They just can't. They don't really have an answer for that guy with his size, aggression, speed, and shot. Like he, he's an inconsistent player. We saw that in the, in the regular season, but uh, he sure brought it against LA. Bruce, and that, that segues for me to Dreisaitl, who I thought maybe had his best game as an Edmonton Oiler. Mm-hmm. In, in a, like all told, all aspects of the game, um, when you add up everything, like everything he did well, if you especially if you totaled up battles won. I don't know if Leon lost a battle all game long. That's how good he was. He He was so, he was so zeroed in, so determined to win this hockey game. I mean, he was even covering in the defensive slot when Connor McDavid slipped out of it. <laughs> so <laughs> he was there. He he was here. He was there. He was every F and where. Uh, he was, he just played a fantastic hockey game. And, uh, you know, a couple of highlights, of course, he got off his, uh, on the power play, he gets off the executioner shot, which is, um, just a thing of beauty. It's the trademark play of this Edmonton Oilers squad. I've said this before, but when we're, well, you and I are already old and gray, but whenever, when, if you're young watching this team, you know, 50, 60 years from now, you're not going to, you probably won't remember much unless you have a memory like Bruce, but you will remember dry McDavid setting up dry on goals like you saw tonight. And just, just such a fantastic, pass by McDavid he didn't even look it was a no look pass and because he, he was looking at net he's looking at Costin and he wanted to fake out Costin maybe he took a peek at the end I'm not sure but I, I to me it looked like no look completely he just threw it right over there and bam right in the net it is it is uh we, we are so lucky as other fans to be able to have these two players on our team and and be able to watch them execute plays like that again and again and again but it wasn't his only uh, great play. He was in, as you mentioned, on the Costin goal, and he actually made a really key play. Mm-hmm. The puck came to him on the boards, and bam, as Leon so often does it, right off his stick, right onto the tape of the point man, DeHarnay, for the shot. You know, Vinny was struggling with the puck all night and um, made a yep. turnover on one of the goals against. I yep. um, lost the puck in the neutral zone. Yeah, you got to get him the puck quick. One, but yeah. yeah, more than, yeah, he screened the goalie on another one. And like there was, he had a tough night. But um, <sighs> you want Vinny to get a shot uh, towards net, get him the puck fast. And that's exactly what Leon did right on his stick, bam, then right on the net. And Kyler Yamamoto tips it on net and Costin puts it in. So that's a great play. Another great play by Leon. Um, <clears throat> in the early in the third period, he and McDavid just, they both kind of make this in, these incredible, intricate deeks moves in the offensive zone. First, McDavid getting the puck to dry settle down low, and then Dry about spinning towards the net and getting a shot on net that almost trickles in oh, uh, yeah. over the goal line. Mm-hmm. Um, then, it, of course, as the game's winding down, he, he makes a, a, a couple clear, key clearances, including one right yeah. in the last minute. He, his defensive play, Bruce was extraordinary. It Exceptional was, defensive yeah. game he played tonight. Yeah, 100%. You know, he only got the one point, so you, mm-hmm. it's unusual to give a player a 10 for that. But I would give I would give myself, I would give Leon a 10 tonight. And awesome. I think people who listen to this podcast 
understand that I criticize him quite a bit for his defensive mm-hmm. play. You've heard me rail mm-hmm. on about that quite a bit. You you know this. Um, it's not so. Uh, you know, it's not like I'm dry settle, dry settle all the time. I, I point out his mistakes when he makes them. He did not make any mistakes. I don't no, think. No, I was going to ask you, but I was expecting you no, to say none. Not one, like, uh, mis- not one uh, mistake on a grade A shot against. He was, he, he, it was a perfect game from Leon, a perfect two way hockey game, um, including some good offensive plays. So uh, where he's, you know, contributing to two, two goals. So um, anyway. Leon's my first good thing. Yeah, he he uh, he had a wonderful game, and and his uh, his right. as you say, he won so many battles, and many of them deep in his own territory. He had a stick yeah. in the passing lanes, but he was getting right in, engaging guys, lifting their stick, getting his own big paddle on the loose pucks, and chipping it out to uh, to good plays. And of of the three guys on his line, he was by far the most protective of the puck. Yeah. And he he, uh, uh, he played a strong uh, defensive game uh, for sure, and and offensively, well, you know, another another uh, hammer of a of a shot, and and uh, he played 27 minutes and 21 seconds in this game, Leon Dreisaitl. Led the uh, team, eh? Uh, yeah, yeah, led all the defensemen and forwards. Uh, McDavid was five seconds behind, and mind you, but the idea being, if you win the game. These guys now get a couple days off. Like, I don't think they'll be playing until probably Wednesday to well, start the right? series. Okay. Well, game seven would have been Monday. And I, there's, so there's no way they would have wanted to start it on Tuesday. And I, I doubt that they would move it up to Tuesday, but that would be the earliest possible because there's going to be games seven uh, played on Monday, I think. Wait a minute, I don't actually know who won the third game tonight. Toronto ended their series. I do know that. And uh, so uh, who won the other game? I guess they'll be heading to Vegas. Eh? They're already down there. Yeah, so they'll just stay Vegas. in the States, yeah, maybe? it's definitely Vegas. Yeah. Uh, depends. If it's not till Wednesday, they'll probably come home. Like, it's yeah. not exactly. Some results. Yeah. 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 Uh, Rangers beat New Jersey, so there will be a game seven of that series on Monday in New Jersey. Do so, they wait till they're all done? Yeah, I don't think they'll start round two. I mean, they've got games Sunday and Monday, so they might as well focus on those games. The NBA does that stuff, but the NHL, they always have kept the rounds distinct by date. So, so the uh, the top scorer isn't dry settle right now. He's tied no. for second with Marner. It's Rupe Hintz yeah. from Dallas. Where is he from? Is he Finnish? Finland. Finland. He's another. He's he's another he Drysaddle like player, isn't he? Like he was on the same Finnish super team that won the gold medal in 2016, where Paul Yarby was the MVP, but they also had Sebastian Aho, Patrick Laine, uh, Mikko Rantanen, uh, and Rupi Hints, just to name five. And they also had the guy in um, uh, in Pittsburgh that was a hot shot. Uh, Junior, he played for Toronto for a while. His dad Carp, was a player. Carp, uh, Kapanen? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he was on their forward core as all. Well. They were just loaded with, you know, big talented guys. I mean, those are, those are most of the guys I named are, are uh, high-end forwards. Big oh, one, high-end one, forwards. One final note about Yamamoto is Kevin Bieksa pointed out he survived a suicide pass from Cody Cece in this game. Oh. He just got bl- like it was just a terrible pass yeah. from Cece. Like you could see that coming. Mm-hmm. And Anderson's, I'm glad we don't have to. Anderson face saw it coming. Yeah, he sure did. And then he hit Cece. <laughs> All right, Bruce. What's your second good thing? Yeah, I'm. Uh, now that I did both my good things in the first comment. I'm actually going to, to single out the, the uh, coaching staff of uh, Jay Woodcroft, Dave Manson, and Glenn Goulitson, uh and the others, uh, uh, Mark Stewart. Uh, but obviously, the uh, chief cook and bottle washer is Jay Woodcroft. And I just was impressed with the adjustments that he made as the series went along and the ways that, that he uh, uh, was able to counter what... Um, uh, what LA was doing, and 
a key, of course, moment was in game four when he uh, made the move on changing his goaltender, which you might say was an obvious move, but it was a big one that paid off. Uh, I really love this, the 11-7, which the Oilers won four out of five games playing the 11-7, and they lost the one game playing the 12-6 when they lost Janmark. And uh, just, the, just the way he weaponizes that and how that fourth line... Uh, as already discussed, was uh, uh, loaded up where you would have two fourth liners and a superstar against three fourth liners. And one thing that he took to doing a lot of was uh, uh, he, even though he had a two extra forwards and one extra defenseman in Broberg, he lined them up together. So in, in most of the games, in the first big chunk of this game, Whenever the two fourth-line wingers were on the ice, Broberg was also on the ice. But you'd wind up with something like this. Costin, Dreisaitl, and Yamamoto with Broberg and Ekholm, right? Not bad. Then you'd get Costin, McDavid, and Yamamoto with Broberg and Nurse. And usually playing against the bottom end of the other team. So Oilers tended to carry those parts of the game. And in fact, I mean, the best measuring stick for that would be those wingers. And Clem Costin was 16-6 in shot attempts tonight. And Mario Kalyamoto was 14-9 in shot attempts tonight. And uh, so even though they were fourth liners, they were, and they had some 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 very good shifts anyway. Uh, uh, so I like the way he used his seventh defenseman. Uh, I don't agree with it, like every single decision he made, but I did like the adaptation of uh, of uh, moving Yamamoto out from line two and putting uh, the bigger, much bigger guy in there, uh, Nick Bugstad, which really helped them win game five. Didn't help them a whole lot tonight, and we'll get to that in a bit, but uh, uh, that helped. And I just like the the malleable roster of guys that can play different positions and the coach that's able to, you know, Scotty Bowman them around the lineup and get them out in, in situational uh, situations that are favorable to him. And one other thing he did that I think was similar to last year's series for the same but opposite reason, uh, let me explain, was last year after Leon Dreisaitl hurt his ankle in game number six, and he was sort of limping around on on one leg, really struggling to play. He was a doubtful starter for Game 7, and he toughed it out. And at that point, he moved uh, Drysaddle with McDavid, said, well, you're not going to be, uh, don't have to skate as much. You know, you can let the puck do the work. You, you guys know each other real well. And, of course, we know what happened after that. They just poured in the goals and points. Well, this series, it was McDavid who got banged up in Game 3, on the big hit by uh, Drew Doughty, uh, we seemed everybody seems to agree, and and McDavid's <clears throat> skating was was really down a couple of notches in the last few games. Like the the quick spin off where he slams on the brakes and comes out the other way, the crossovers, and the you know the seventeenth gear or whatever it is that he uses to blow by a defenseman when he's even on with them on a race, and all of a sudden he just can pull around in front of him. All of that was kind of not really in evidence these last three games. So what he did this year was he put David with Dreisaitl. And so, again, you know, David had the support because he was not, I, I don't think, near the top of his game. You know, and I didn't really notice They were an effective line. Uh, anyway, that's that's my takeaway. And I think it was a response to an injury to one of them in each year. Last year it was Dry who got hurt. This year it was McDee who got banged up. And we can only hope that a few days off and uh, whatever it is that's ailing him is going to heal up some. But uh, uh, I uh, I just didn't see his elite, uh, elite, elite level skating that uh, we're accustomed to as being quite so, such a dominant factor. And... Uh, Many of us saw the clip re- released from Oilers practice yesterday by a reporter who shall remain nameless, <laughs> who was only reporting and doing his job, and uh, he took a lot of crap for that. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, McDavid. It was Ryan Rashog, and it was no big deal. Come was, on, yeah, like, I agree. Is, I, I agree. He was doing his and, job. He was, and, and listen, it's just like the Kings know. 
Yeah, of course the Kings are watching these, these players. They know who's uh-huh. going for. Honestly, Bruce, I didn't notice as much with McDavid skating. Uh-huh. I, I wasn't standing out to me that because I was looking for it a little bit. He was making some pretty fast moves. He's still good. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like the, he's just there was a little bit of explosiveness. I'll give you that. I, I, like I'm, I, I, maybe you're maybe you're onto something. I, I, I didn't notice it in particular. I must. I have to admit that. But it, it was a good move in any case. Woodcroft's mm-hmm. move. It like joining those two players together. Maybe yeah. he just wanted more oomph from him. He got it. So yeah, <clears throat> yeah, he did. Anyway, I just he pulled a lot of strings over the course of the series. Woodcroft. And he was responding at first to one nothing and two one series deficits, and uh, by the end, uh, you know, the Oilers won the last three in a row to uh, to seal the deal. And coaching was a part of it. And I think he and they deserve credit. I mean, Glenn Goulson and his nine for sixteen power play, you know. Wow. <laughs> and uh, they were talking in the intermission that Goulson might have they might have um, done a little bit different. Um, set up for Dreisaitl's uh, one-timer on the play. Mm-hmm. When, as soon as McDavid got it and he starts circling into the middle, he put it right back to Dreisaitl immediately. Instead of taking it around the horn, right. and then passing it, he puts it to Dreisaitl. Dreisaitl put it to Bouchard, and then Bouchard goes cross-scene to McDavid. And then McDavid goes, looks for Dreisaitl. And it was mm-hmm. a little bit, of, that was a, a, a twist, I think. I, a little misdirection I play, eh? Yeah, it, and it worked. Mm, sure it worked very well. So that might have been they credited Gulitson on the broadcast and maybe oh, they, do they okay good good yeah so that's so why I'm bringing that he up. tends to get overlooked because of uh, uh, Manson and Woodcroft are seen as a tandem but Oilers uh, power play has been good for a long time and uh, Glenn Gulitson's been in charge of it yeah the Kings power play was pretty good tonight too. yes all series <laughs> yeah. all series nine goals to seven in a six game yeah. series sixteen yeah. power play goals so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my second good thing, Bruce, um, is Darnell Nurse. And I thought he was outstanding. I'd give him an eight or a nine in this game, probably a nine. Um, that's as well as he's played maybe all year. He he made, like, earlier, and again, I'll set this up with people who listen to this podcast know that earlier this, this uh, series, um, I made him a bad thing and just we ripped him. Much of the podcast ripping him for his bad decision making, trying to do too much out there, making bad reads, uh, constantly getting sucked out of the defensive slot, not playing his position, playing uh, rover, as you put it. Tonight, he played his position. And did he ever play it well? He can be, he is, when he just, when he reigns in that game a bit, he is outstanding in his own end. He was, he was just so quick to the puck. Um, I just remember one play in the first period where he went, in the, went into the slot and s- s- clamped down on Kempe, who was about to get a mm-hmm. dangerous pass. That was Nurse all game long. That was his play. He was uh, brilliantly fast. He And he got a couple offensive chances. Uh, one right at the end of the first period, I believe, when uh, Drew Doughty made a miraculous skate save. Oh. I think Nurse was, let me just go back to our uh, scoring chance chart. It was McDavid who set him up. And I guess Cost oh yeah, Costin won uh I think uh Costin won the puck back in the neutral zone. They get it in. McDavid uh circles and passes to nurse uh crossing to nurse and h- how nurse uh how Doughty got his skate on that. Well it was a hell of a play and nurse almost scored there. And then on the winning goal, Bruce, mm-hmm. I don't know if I really love this. I was thinking, this is one moment where I'm thinking, why are you rushing it? Just dump it in, you know. But he, Darnell rushed it in, and he he got in. He yeah. he charged hard in there, and he set up Costin uh, for a really good shot. Costin missed the net on it. But the Oilers mm-hmm. kept the puck in the, the, the end the whole time based on Nurse's incredible zone entry. The Kings right. never recovered from Nurse's rush up the ice. They were always on their back heel after that. Mm-hmm. And um, the puck gets moved around, and Yamamoto puts it in the net. That was a fantastic offensive foray from Nurse. It was. So, you know, end to end. Yeah, end to end rush. He and a great move at the blue line. Yes. So he was so sharp uh, in tonight's game. I just, uh, and, and I have a lot of admiration for him. He has taken a ton of criticism uh, from people like you and I. And then there's other fans who give him abuse, is the truth. Yes. You know, and, and he's getting a lot of heat, which I think is like, 
if you're a fan of the team, I think criticism, critique of a player's play is is perfectly online. Mm-hmm. That's you, that's when you start to make personal comments about the players, about who they are, what they're like, what their character is. I just think in or these all encompassing statements like nurse nurses, you know, I just think like get a grip. Don't be that fan. Just because you look here, here and here's why you don't want to be that fan because you look stupid because people who know hockey, people who know hockey think you're stupid. You can't even make an argument. You you can't say, okay, here's what he did wrong. Then then there's a conversation about what he did wrong. But if you're just going to make that kind of comment, you're, you, you come off as stupid. And if you want to look that way, keep making those comments because that's how you look. Well, I'd frame it slightly differently, but I, I, I'd say you have your right to say what you think he did wrong, uh, but you really earn that right if you're also willing to say what he did right at other times. Yeah. And there are those that just focus on the mistakes as if that's all he ever does. And when he does a right play, they just say nothing because that's what he's expected to do, I guess, or whatever. They, anyway, uh, he does lots of both. And he's always been a high event player, and there's been lots of other high event players in this league over the years that have been pretty good players, even though they're all their events aren't successful ones, you know. And anyway, uh, he was. I remember that play against Kempe tonight. He, Kempe just couldn't get around him. It was a great battle, like basically one-on-one battle for the better part of ten seconds. And Nurse eventually won it by outstretching Kempe and chipping the puck around the boards, and the owners walked it out. Is how I remember it. And uh, uh, Kempe was everywhere. Jeez, it seemed like he had like 25 shots on net, that guy. And officially he had seven, but boy, did he have a big time game. And uh, the orders were hard pressed to uh, uh, to stop him. Yeah, well, we should talk a little about the about the Kings, uh, our impressions mm-hmm. of the Kings at the at the end of the uh, at the end sure. of this. Okay, I think we're on to bad things, Bruce. What is your bad thing? Yeah, well, I have to have to go with Edmonton's second line. Uh, I've been saying kind things about Nick Bukestad, but he had a little bit of a tougher time of it tonight, just a little bit slower in uh, uh, his, um, I don't think his fast twitch fibers were firing tonight particularly well, but that whole line absolutely got their show run in this game. And, I mean, here are, uh, maybe you can help out with the uh, grade A shots against. There won't be any four, I don't think. Uh, this is the shots on goal. Nick Bukestad, 2-4, 15 against. Zach Hyman, 1-4, 13 against. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, 0-4, 12 against. Nuge played 11 minutes at even strength uh, in this game, and, got, and the orders got out shot 12 to zero. They, they miraculously they sawed off. At least they, they did, did at even strength. They, they got beat. Saw. I think each of Bukestad and Nuge got beat for a power play goal, but at even strength they sawed off zero zero. But that was only because Skinner stopped all 15 of those shots because they weren't making anything happen at the other end, and mostly they were just playing chase and. Uh, not good enough. The third and fourth lines picked it up, and the first line was uh, okay, and the uh, second line just uh, had a pretty pretty hard time of it, really, from start to finish. Very disappointing, Bruce. And, um, yeah, the, uh, I, had wrote, I wrote an article yesterday about how, Nugent, how we need to see Ryan urgent Hopkins. Mm-hmm. He needs to bring a little more, bit more intensity to his game, and I didn't see it tonight. Haven't didn't see it all see, series. He's good on the power play. He was okay on, okay-ish on the penalty kill, um, but no, at even strength, he just he just wasn't able to get dig in, and make plays. And Hyman, same thing, wasn't. And I, you know, I could I did see Hyman limping towards the end of the game as he was skating. Mm-hmm. I think he is injured, mm-hmm. and that often explains something. Mm-hmm. Bukestad, um, you know, he's he's had his moments in this series. He's had some good games. Yeah. So so he. Uh, Tonight, not necessarily as much, but uh, yeah, this line together, it got, it was the weakest of the three lines by quite a bit. Mm-hmm. A- and as you did, it was a soft, I think they're mainly playing against the Kopitar line, if my memory serves. And um, I, uh, I don't think Kopitar is the player that he was. He's slowed down considerably. 
and is not is unable to punish uh, teams as much for their mistakes as he has in the past. So that was part yeah. of the reason they weren't scored on. But uh, they were dominated, and they never got. They just never. They created not one grade A shot. Mm-hmm. between them and they were on the ice their line was on for two grade a shots against right in the and that was in the third period both of those grade a shots so not a good time to be letting them in letting those kinds of things in yeah well yeah it was kempe kopitar and arvidson which is a, you know it's a that's a tough of a trio and so maybe we're a little hard on possibly well but on. i mean they 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 just didn't even have the puck yeah so obviously this was a plan of todd mcclellan saying if the orders are going to load up their first line, when we're going to attack their second line with our best. Yeah. And because Arvidsson and uh, Kempe are their two best wingers. And I mean, Kopitar and, and Dano are both great centers. But uh, if I was obliged to pick one, it would be uh, probably Kopitar still. Kempe. So that's basically their three. So. I mean, Vic- Victor Arvidsson head to head against Nuge in eight and a half minutes. The shots were 10 nothing. For the Kings, yeah. ten nothing. That was a really good trade for LA picking up Arvidsson. I think it was for yeah. a second pick or something like that. Yeah, uh, he was a, I think he was a pending free agent, and they got him and signed him. They they just traded an asset to get him, and then they yeah. signed him. Maybe that was it. Bruce, my bad thing is it's just one play, and it's from a player who had an otherwise okay game, maybe even a good game. I you know have to, I'd have to think about that a little bit more. But it was Cody Cece. My spirit oiler, mm-hmm. um, usually a good def- positional player who makes really good decisions on the ice. That's his forte. Uh, not the fastest player or the, you know, not any kind of offensive genius or anything like that uh, at this point of his career. He's just a solid stay at home defenseman. That's how he plays it. Mm-hmm. But um, the owners are, are nursing a three to one lead. It's um, five minutes into the second period. They've just scored on the power play. It's three to one. And what does CC do? Just a really ill-advised pinch. He's just—he doesn't—he's—he's he's late to the pinch. It's not a—it's—it's it's not a fifty-fifty play. Like I understand, you don't want to back off completely when you have a three-one lead. You have to keep playing the game. Mm-hmm. So and, and so the rule should be like, well, if it's a seventy-thirty pinch, you're going to go for yeah. it, or an eighty-twenty pinch, you go for it. Or if but you those know 50, the 50, got your back. Yeah, but those fifty-fifty ones. Maybe lay off, but this wasn't even that. This was like a 2080 pinch. This was, this was, he was late to the play, mm-hmm. yeah. and it leads to a two on one rush up the ice, leads to a grade A shot against, and it leads to uh, Nick Bugstad taking a penalty. And they mm-hmm. scored on the ensuing power play, and then they scored again. So, all the, like the, the real bad, the orders have that game in hand, and you make a pinch like that. Now, you're, he is a veteran player. And I just hated that play. It's the kind of play that the Oilers made throughout this series and giving up leads. You know, it is harder to hold leads. These are higher scoring, higher scoring NHL. So, but you don't want to give them away. You don't want to give the goals away. And you give up two on one rushes where people might take penalties. You're giving goals away. And it's like, you know, my other pet peeve is when the centers don't come back and help out in the defensive slot, cover the cover the guy, which happened in the first period with McDavid right after he had scored. So um, defensive plays like that just they gnaw, they gnaw at me, Bruce. I don't like to see them. So that's my bad thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll add in the one sucker pass CC threw in the general direction of Connor Yamamoto <laughs> that saw. The little guy got absolutely smoked by Mikey Anderson because he yeah. was he had to uh, take the hit to make the play, and he did. So credit to him, but those kind of passes uh, are not helpful. Bruce, your numero. Yeah, I think I'm just going to pick out of this series that uh, uh, Edmonton was struggling to score goals in the first part of the series. They lost... 4-3 in overtime. They won 4-2 with an empty netter. Uh, they won, uh, they lost 3-2 in overtime. And they were really struggling to break through. And then all of a sudden, somebody was saying they need to play fewer 4-3 and 3-2 games. They need to play some more 5-4 games. Well, they won game 4-5-4 four, four in overtime. They won game 5-6-3. to three. 
They won game six, five to four. And that's order hockey. I mean, it's playoffs. You might say, well, it needs to be two to one for it to be playoff hockey. No, it doesn't. You just need to have more goals than the other guys. And the order's forte all year has been scoring goals. And in the last three games, they got through to, uh, there's kids outside my house having a party. Uh, there's they lots got, of people celebrating in Edmonton right now. They, yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. And then there's, uh, uh, and so they started to get to uh, yeah, Jonas Corpusalo and uh, drove him from the net one game and scored five goals on him in the other two games. And I just think their offensive game started to rise to the occasion and solve the Kings' defense and goaltending. And so they scored nine goals, including the empty netter in the first half of the series and 16 goals in the second mm-hmm. half of the series. And that kind of tells the tale of uh, of how they were able to, uh, uh, you know, outscore their mistakes. It's an old thing we used to say about the Oilers 40 years ago, David. And uh, here we are again, but they managed to get it done in just that fashion. You know, I think the only thing that changed, Bruce, honestly, well, it just might have been puck luck. Maybe. Um, if you look at our numbers, and because this is my number, I'm going to go through our scoring chance mm-hmm. numbers for grade A right. shots for the Oilers. Oh, okay. um, I just think they got better puck luck. And Corpus Allo, and Corpus Allo started to wear down, and he wasn't quite as sharp as the series went along. So mm-hmm. it's two things, puck luck and the goalie wearing down and letting in a few goals that he was saving um, earlier in the series. In the se- in the series, because okay, here here's the great. Here's why I'm saying this. I will back up my argument with the cold, hard, subjective cult of hockey <laughs> grade A scoring chance shots numbers. First game, 16 grade A shots. Second game, 16 grade A shots. Third game, 15 grade A shots. Fourth game, 17 grade A shots. Fifth game, 16 grade A shots, and sixth sixth game, 15 grade A shots. So they they averaged 15.8 grade A shots a game, and that's what they almost had. That's they they almost had 16 a game every single game. So and there's the subset of the five alarm shots. In the first two games, they actually had the most. They had nine five alarm shots. They're 33 percenters on average in the first two games each. Nine and nine, and then they got two Two. in game three, and then eight, seven, and seven. So there's not much to separate those either, except for the one anomaly in game two. But the orders were just extremely consistent being able to to get grade A shots, really good shots. Mm-hmm. This They averaged uh, 15.8 in the series. They averaged this year, all year long, 15 per game. So they raised their season average. And they did that against a really good Kings defensive hockey team. The Kings can play some defense. And they were they were they they had parked the bus all se- series long. They're doing everything they can to prevent grade A shots, and they couldn't stop the Oilers from getting them. So this Oilers team was was an offensive, like just a machine. It's a machine at this point of manufacturing grade A shots, game after game after game, consistently mm-hmm. enough grade A shots every game to score four goals a game, if, right. if not a little bit more than that. I'd make the case so that they changed their strategy a little bit as the series went along and they started taking more outside shots instead of trying to work the puck in close and get the traffic in front and fire the puck through. And they got a few goals from like 25 feet out, uh, including basically, I'd say, both of Costin's goals tonight, yeah. Yamamoto's yeah. goal tonight. And, uh, you know, they were... It's won the last game too, I recall. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And in game four, uh, both Kane's tying goal and Hyman's game winner came from distance. And whether you can just say, well, the shooters started making their their shots or whether they, you know, whether they uh, found a weakness in the Kings and exploited it. Anyway, their production basically doubled for goals, which is, of course, the main thing we count in the uh, last half of the series. So it certainly did. I can see that in the totals as well. So. Um, one other thing I'd like to point out, Bruce, that even strength, the grade A shots were 73 to 56 for Edmonton. So Edmonton averaged 12.2 grade A shots per game at even strength, and the Kings had 9.3. Mm-hmm. So most of the Oilers' differential happened at even strength for grade A shots. And, you know, it just speaks to the transformation of this team. This team used to get stomped regularly at even strength. Yeah. They are now an even strength juggernaut. And this is, this is you know, their power play, it's just out of this world good. Their even strength play is really strong as well. If mm-hmm. they can get some goaltending, and they can they can play to if they if they determine them to play defense, uh, 
They all make up their minds. They're going to play defense like Leon made up his mind tonight and Darnell Nurse made up his mind tonight. They will go to the Stanley Cup final and they will win the Stanley Cup, Bruce, this year is what's going to happen if they make if they uh, continue to do that. Um, if they're healthy enough. I, I have yeah, my concerns on the health front again. Yeah, that's but, always uh, Not quite as serious as last year, but you mentioned Zach Hyman limping and yeah. we both mentioned Connor McDavid. Uh, you know, clearly not. 100%, but uh, like I say, some time off now. We had three days off before this game, and now hopefully another three. And then it's on to Las Vegas. With <clears throat> no home ice advantage because they couldn't quite overtake them at that end of the season. Vegas just kept winning too, and they, they look pretty good against Winnipeg. Vegas did. Jack Eichel's playing well. Man, oh, man, that guy's, uh, that guy's got a, uh, a lot of skills. And... Uh, He's faster than I realized. He's one of them. So, Bruce, in the end, what did you think of the Kings? Uh, well, I thought they were better than last year in uh, some important respects. I mean, they had uh, they had some key players that they never had last year. And, I mean, two of them are just guys that were hurt. Victor Arvidsson, I thought he had a, a tremendous series. Man, that guy is, brings it every night, every shift. He's yeah. bringing it. He's skating yeah. hard, and he's tricky, and he's got a really hard shot. And he's just—he's not that big of a guy, but he just—you know—he's he's, a hell of a player. He's a heck of a player. And Doughty, of course, Sir Drew, uh, he brings his own special uh, uh, aura to the games. Tonight we had minutes. tonight we had a nice situation where uh, um, uh, Evander Kane got high sticked about 10 feet directly in front of referee Wes McCauley. Uh, and there was one replay angle where you could see the stick come up. You could hear the stick make contact with the helmet and shield of, uh, of Kane. You could see Kane's helmet visibly move and the chin strap come up over his lip. And Wes McCauley, uh, on this one angle, all you can see is the back of McCauley's head looking directly at the infraction and refusing to call it. And they had a face-off, and Kane was a little bemused with the lack of a call. He doesn't seem to get a lot of respect from the refs, and I'm sure there's a backstory there, but there shouldn't be. Uh, and then within like five seconds after the next face-off, there hadn't been a penalty all game. We're thinking, okay, they really have decided not to blow any whistles tonight. And Hyman takes a little run at the uh, Doughty along the boards, <sighs> and maybe he threw a chicken wing at him. I don't know. They did call it elbowing. But it was no more egregious than the obvious high stick on on Kane that for whatever reason. But this was a this was an attack on Sir Drew Doughty, so we better call it. And so and they always had, you know, when when at one point the penalties were three to one and LA scored two power play goals right in a row, and you're thinking, well, when we did that, they, we got a makeup call right away. But anyway. Uh, Doughty, to get back to the original point, Doughty had a strong series. He was a, you know, he has an impact on every game that he plays, right? He's a, he's a, he's a gamer, and uh, uh, he can be a bit of a weasel at times, and uh, other times he can be fun to watch. Like he, he is a, sort of a balls to the wall kind of player, and so he's fun to watch that way. But I didn't like watching him take a run at Connor McDavid in Game Three. Uh, Fiala that was hurt for the start of the season I'm not sure series I'm not sure we ever saw him at 100% they probably pushed him in a little early but uh, he still had some impact like they got a lot of good players there in LA Yeah, uh, I don't think their goal, goal their goalie was good for a while and then he kind of lost the plot and maybe that has as much to do with the increase in goal scoring as anything else who always got to him and a couple of guys like Sean Dersey that was so good last year in the absence of Doughty, I didn't think he had a very strong series at all and maybe took a bit of a step back. He's a bit of a whipping boy, Bruce, in Los Angeles. I mm -hmm. noticed with their fans, he gets picked on quite a bit because the uh, I think it was Hyman's overtime goal mm -hmm. went through Dersey's legs and man, they were on they were on him for that. Yeah, no, they're not. The, the, he's he's down in their luck. The player that that I thought didn't come through. I know he got a lot of points to see in the in the series was Kopitar. He just didn't seem like mm -hmm. a force to me. 
Uh, uh-huh. Mikey Anderson is a he's a hell of a defenseman. I, I give him credit. Like he, I wish he was an Oiler. He's a good player. Kempe is obviously outstanding. Yeah. Uh, follows fast. Very dynamic. Uh, fast, yeah. dynamic hockey player. Good hockey player. This is a really good. Trevor Moore is good. Velarde's good. This is a really good team. Gavrikov's good. Yeah, it's a better. Gavrikov is a solid uh, defensive defenseman. So this is. They, they are going to have some trouble though um, mm-hmm. with. With Kopitar, I mean, he is their top center, and he's getting Doughty's still in his prime. Doughty is outstanding hockey player. He would be on Team Canada, um, but Kopitar didn't. I didn't get you know there was not fear in me watching that guy play. I just didn't think you know he was in on some plays, but I didn't think he was going to crush the Oilers like he was going to win games, be a game winner for that team. And um, so we'll see if Quinton Byfield can step up in in coming years or if they have other centers i know they drafted uh, turcott uh alex turcott alex who is turcott, not yeah. not so far been a dominant player at the ahl level so um i think he was the fifth overall pick that one in a recent year so um they've got a lot of good wingers though philip Deneau. philip Deneau was good but not great he wasn't really um that huge of a factor, I didn't think. And he was more of a factor last year. I thought Deneau was their best player probably last year. And not so much this time. He was he was good, but it wasn't he wasn't the force that he was, like getting in, you know, everyone's hair and air, aggravating everyone. So good team, but uh, not as good as the Oilers. And we move on to Las Vegas. Yeah, I thought if they... I thought the Oilers maybe should have won the series in five games. That's what I picked. I thought L.A. was was pretty fortunate in both of the games that they won. And, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll give them credit that they, you know, they deserved to win at least one game. And, you know, they, they had some st- strong sequences and so on. But uh, uh, they uh, they had a few breaks go their way. And then the Oilers got some breaks go their way in the games that they won. But anyway, the Oilers were, I think, over the – course of six games uh clearly the better team and that became more apparent uh as the series went along and more the, depth, this, better depth yeah and this series of course had one of the great games in order's playoff history the game four comeback um mm. down three to nothing it was the mm. it was a remarkable game you know featuring jack campbell's uh performance his mike palmateer um, like performance in net, mandatory 1970 sports reference, um, where he was kind of all over the place, but he kept the puck, kept that puck out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Bruce, let's let's leave it there. You got to write some game grades. Yep. So good luck with I that. I do, and then we'll prepare for uh, Vegas Golden Knights in the days to come. Maybe we can do a podcast in between series, but uh, yeah. uh, for tonight, I'm concentrating on the end of the Kings game, and I, for one, am happy to see the end of the Kings. Me too. Have, have a they seat, a have a seat fellas. The drama Kings, I call them at one point on Twitter for all the for all the hijinks on the. Uh, on the uh, divery and so on yeah. that's going on. But uh, uh, I, re- I respect them. And at the same time, they're one of those teams you really like to beat, right? This is now yeah. seven playoff series to two uh, over the full history of the rivalry. And uh, I think that we'll see these guys again in years to come because they're going to be contenders. But uh, Oilers at this point have the upper hand on them. Yeah, the Kings parked the bus all series, but in the end, the owners parked that bus right on top of them. All right, Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.